To repeat the ignition sequence. To repeat the ignition sequence. This is a production of Dirty Mo Media. Dirty Mo Media. We're looking to lift off at zero. All systems are done. Helmet on. T minus 60 seconds. Climb in. Buckle up. Thighs are down. Minus 30 seconds and counting. Breathe. Now they're in the race car. Locked and loaded. We have ignition sequence start. Ignition. The engines are on. Pull them belts tight. Stage is reporting ready for launch. We're transporting to volume up. Power at this time. It's go time. Power at this time. 15. It's 14. time. 13. Coming up on a go for all start. It's 10, time for the Dale Jr. Download. 9, Podcast. The TV show. The Dale Jr. Download is We three, have ignition. Two. One. Zero. Zero. All engines running. We have liftoff. Liftoff. We have liftoff. 1122 AM Eastern Standard Time. Hey, everybody. It's Dale Hart Jr. back again for another episode of the Dale Jr. Download. Today, we have two guests on the show. Jeff Dickerson, owner of Spire, he's going to tell us why they bought the 95 Charter. James Hinchcliffe, big fan favorite in IndyCar world and motorsports in general, is going to come on the show, tell us about his career, and he's got the Indy 500 coming up. Let's get started. All right, let's uh, bring in the mayor of Hinchtown. Yeah, we're going to go for auto sequence start. So here he is, James Hinchcliffe. From a year ago, nearly losing his life. In a savage crash here. T minus 17 seconds in countdown. Lap two was even faster yet for Hitch. Let's see what lap three looks like as he takes the white flag. One lap to go. Jackie, now it is time for a familiar cry to fill the Indiana air. Two, one, boost ignition, and lift off. It's Hinchcliffe! different zoom layout than i'm used to nice i mean you, you got the hair perfectly quafted so so we're good to go brother <laughs> all you need man <laughs> just got the i just got the the, the indie low drag cut yesterday <laughs> getting ready for qualifying <laughs> hey james it's dale jr what's up buddy not much man how you doing man it's great to have you on the show um with me is my yeah great to be here thanks man with me is my co-host mike davis How's it going, Mike? These guys have been working. The, the, the game, the backdrop game is yeah. getting a lot better. Have you Dude. noticed that? <laughs> yes. I mean, look at this. Where are you right now, James? This is my my home office. Where are you? Uh, Indianapolis. Okay. Yeah, so I live here. And I I, I kind of turned. I was only allowed to do anything to one room of the house. Right. That was the wife said I could do this one, that's and an, so all my helmets and trophies are in here. All you can ask for. It's all we ask for. Yeah. It's all Just we ask give for. me one room. Yeah. So is that yeah. so? Is Indianapolis sort of where most of the guys live? Where do most of the IndyCar guys live? 
Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like our Charlotte, you yeah. know, to the NASCAR world. So most of the shops are based here with the exception of a few. A lot of the drivers are based here. You know, some of the other guys like Ryan Hunter Ray, he can't deal with the winners. So he lives in Florida. <laughs> you know, he's, he's a bit soft. But, uh, you know, Marco stays in PA kind of with the family ties. I get that. But a, a lot of the drivers are here now. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I, um, I have, you know, watched any car all my life. And I thought, I, you know, I thought, you know, racing's racing. Uh, most most other forms of, of motorsport are probably similar to NASCAR, but, man, was I wrong. Um, I got an opportunity to go to Indy 500 last year, but this year we had a online series. Uh, NASCAR did their online thing. IndyCar did a, a really great job with, with their online portion of, this, of, of the year. Um, and I got to participate in a race. Uh, oddly enough, I was invited to participate. It was what it was a great uh, honor and experience to to be able to sort of quote pretend to be an indie guy for a couple days. And one of the things uh, that was stood out to me the most and blew me away made this is what's really unique to IndyCar. I think. Well, maybe F one, but um, the the variety and of individuals and where everybody's from and the and and the way they all approach what they do and how they race uh is so different so much different because all most of the guys in nascar born in the united states right the culture is different from coast to coast and state to state but not vastly in indycar obviously you have the accents and but you everybody like I don't. You can help me with this, James. But when you grow up in a different part of the world, you view and approach motorsport in that in the way that you're sort of trained from that that geographic location, you know. And for example, like Australians, they're really aggressive, right? Uh, when I watched V8 supercars all my life, man, they don't mind getting in there and beating on each other, and that's just <laughs> part of it, right? Um, and they complain a lot on the radio, as Will Power <laughs> did during that race. <laughs> I was just really, I was not, I was not up to what a huge sort of uh, variety of personalities and 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 approaches and styles there are in any car. That blew me away. I mean, I know everybody's from somewhere different, and there's a lot of international drivers in the series, but does that really has to be a big challenge? I think. Uh, melding all those personalities and and people together on the racetrack because of the disagreements and things that you have about how you race, right? The etiquette in well, racing. That's that's just it. I mean, so you you've got the you've got the kind of cultural difference from a racing standpoint in terms of the guys that grew up racing primarily in North America versus the guys that grew up racing in Europe or Asia or Australia, and, and all of those areas kind of have their own quirks. And then on top of that, you throw in whatever you know, like nationalistic differences there are from wherever they're from, because you may have grown up racing in Europe, but you might be Australian, like Will Power, which is the most insane combination because you have the super aggressive Australian blood and you've got the like crazy, don't really care about anybody else European attitude coming together. <laughs> like, that's, that's, a, that's a tough thing to manage, you know, but I mean, obviously successful. I mean, look yeah. at what he's done, but uh, but you're right. And, and, and it's funny, you, you brought it up and this is the point I wanted to make was it's how people deal with conflicts and how people deal with things going wrong is actually probably the most different. You know, there's some guys that are able to just kind of shake it off and be like, hey, man, that's racing, no big deal. Some guys take everything that happens on track insanely personally. Exactly. 
And so, yeah, it's, you have to kind of learn like, so the European mentality, a lot of the guys that come over from Europe, right? The European mentality is very, you can't have friends at the racetrack. You've got to be able to hate everybody and, and push them within an inch of, of anything. And the North American <laughs> attitude was usually a little bit more relaxed than that. And I've always, I've always kind of thought of it the other way. I've always thought that like, you know, I'm on, I'm on the racetrack with these guys and essentially my life is in their hands in certain scenarios. Right. I want to know who the hell I'm racing. Yeah. Right. I, I want to know their personality. I want to know what makes them tick. I want to know how I think they're going to react in a certain situation. And I've always found that your off track personality translates a lot in a lot of cases to what you're like on track. And so I've had to take the time I've, you know, I've wanted to, and I've made the effort to take the time to try to get to know all these guys off track. So that way I feel better prepared to race them on track. Yeah. That was one of the things that blew me away is, is just something simple as a, what a block is to one guy might not, everybody has their opinion on like, what's, what's a defensive move. What's an aggressive move. Yeah. And, um, Man, and you know, to hit, and and you're sitting on the computer racing these guys, and you got all these different styles and accents of you know coming across you know the headset, and you're like, man, this is like, it's like everybody all over the country came together to race at once. I'm just so used to in NASCAR, it just you know everybody kind of grows up under the same set of rules and regulations, and everybody has a pretty good understanding of what's good and bad on the racetrack and what the etiquette is and man in in, in indycar it's it's so different everybody's so different i, I like I, I that i love that i well, but i love that about nascar man because everybody comes up and there's kind of there's like this unwritten set of rules yeah. right there's like the the gentleman's rules yes. which are often very ungentlemanly but you know like it's just sort of a known unspoken thing and i i love that i mean some of the times like I'll see you guys wail on each other and I'll think the guy that got hit is just going to come out fuming, throwing helmets. And he's like, no, nah, man, I deserve that one. Or like, that's what I would have done in the same situation. I'm like, dude, these guys are awesome. Like, yeah. I love the, the respect out there sometimes is just next level. So, so, so what is the gentleman rule in IndyCar then? What, what, what could we expect the, the drivers to have an unspoken agreement so, so the, the big one that, that comes up, uh, on oval racing, right. Is, is to just not take a guy's airway if you're making a pass. Right. So if let's say you're passing a guy on the outside of one, two, a Texas, right. And you clear a mid corner, you hold your second lane, you hold that line until you get out. If you just drop down in the middle of the corner, when you're only six inches in front of the guy and take his wind off, I mean, that's, that's a really, really crappy thing to do. Wow. That's that, that can end that can end the guy's day in a big way. So there's there's definitely an etiquette on the ovals just because of the risks and the way the cars behave on there. And and sometimes like you get young guys come in and they've maybe done some indie light stuff, so they get it. Sometimes they think they've just got something to prove, so they're super aggressive and they've got to be pulled in, you know, behind the trailer and and <laughs> given a few words. You get guys that have come over from Europe, never been on a Nova before. They've got no idea how to behave and how to react. And honestly, man, it goes back to that iRacing thing. There were guys that are new to the series that we've never raced before and we know haven't been on ovals. And you kind of get a sense of like, okay, if, if this is how he's going to be in the real car, yeah. we might have to have a conversation before we even get to Texas. You know? <laughs> wow. That's so funny. Well, uh, i got to ask, though. So the Australian drivers are uh, scrappy and aggressive. The Europeans are mm -hmm. just unfriendly. What are Canadian mm -hmm. drivers? I mean, we're just, we're Canadians, man. We're just easy. We're just, we just want to get the race over and have a beer and, you know, just, <laughs> you, know, you know. All Canadian drivers. Easiest? Pretty much. Well, I mean, there's the French Canadians, which are a little more fiery, right? Like Tagliani, <laughs> you guys know Tag. He oh, yeah. gets, he gets fired up from time to time, but he's good, man. He's good behind the wheel. 
How did you get exposed to racing? Uh, it was my dad's fault. He, um, my dad's <laughs> actually from England. And so well, I grew up in Canada, but he was, you know, some people have a hockey dad. Some people have a football dad. I had a racing dad and he loved F1. He loved IndyCar. And uh, growing up, Sunday mornings were Formula One. Sunday afternoons were IndyCar and NASCAR. And, and we just we just loved racing. And I've got an older brother and an older sister, and neither one of them cared a lick about racing. So dad really lucked out. Third time's a charm. So it was just kind of me and him on Sundays. We just spend the days watching racing and um, going to the IndyCar race in Toronto. That started in 86. And I went for the first time when I was like 18 months old. And I've been to every single one since, either you know on one side of the fence or the other. So uh, that's it all kind of started pretty young. So what was your first car? Uh, I feel like my for, first, first foray into racing. Yes, anything, whatever it was. So I got a go-kart for my ninth birthday. And and that's kind of how it started. And, and it really, it, if you go back a year, so my dad, the running joke in the family is my dad had a midlife crisis at 45, right? And he bought himself a little Triumph TR4 and went vintage racing. And so he's a little old British guy, buys an old British car and goes racing, which to be fair, there's a series in Canada that is comprised largely of expat Brits who have midlife crises and buy little <laughs> British cars and go race each other. And so, so I started going with my dad to these races and just loved it, man. It was, you know, I was putting the air in the tires and the gas in the tank. I was his pit crew. My dad was a race car driver. It was the coolest thing ever. And then we met a guy who did that. Um, whose son raced go-karts. And so he went out and checked one of those races out one day. And I was like, yeah, no, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I'm, I'm going to need to try one of these. And so got one for my birthday and, and that was it. Besides your dad, who was the inspiration to you? So from like a racing standpoint, my hero was Greg Moore, you know, uh, Canadian driver, bad fast behind the wheel. He he came into IndyCar. So I was a big Jacques Villeneuve fan. You know, obviously you see a, a trait here. I was supporting the homeboys. Um, and when he went over to F1, you know, Greg stepped into that car to the player's car. And that was the same year I started racing go-karts. So he just kind of made it to the big leagues. I was just starting my racing career, which at the time, like I never thought I was, I would ever end up here, but, uh, it was just, it was, he was such a nice guy. He was so good behind the wheel of a car. It was just a great, great role model for a young kid for sure. Dang. So the story is that you actually carried his gloves with you while racing at Indy. Yeah, yeah. So in uh, in 2012 it was my second year, my first year with Andretti Autosport, and you know I, I'd been talking with. I, I got to know a lot of Greg's friends, guys like Tony Kanaan and Dario Franchitti, like all, Max Pappas. These were all his boys, you know. And um, I got to race against most of those guys, and it sucks. And obviously, Greg, you know, passed away in '99, and I uh, never got the chance to do that. But I'd spend a lot of time in the bus lot chatting with these guys, hearing the old stories of all the all the stuff they used to get up to, and. Um, and we, we talked about how, how quick Greg was on ovals, but it was such a shame that because of the split and open wheel at the time, he never got the chance to run the 500. And mm. I had uh, one of Greg's old mechanics who I'd never met just came up to me at the track one day randomly, and he had a pair of Greg's gloves. And so Greg always wore red gloves. This was like a running thing with him, right? His car was always blue and white, but he always wore red gloves. And everyone's like, why the red gloves? And he said, superheroes wear red gloves. <laughs> so he always wore That's red gloves. Awesome. And so I've worn red gloves every race of my life, my entire career because really? of Greg. Yeah. And so, uh, I mean, I got an orange car this year, Dale, it doesn't look great, man, but I got to <laughs> stick to it. Yep. So uh, my wife tells me like that, that's, that those don't go together. I'm like, that's not the point. So, uh, one of his mechanics came up to me, had an old set of Greg's gloves. And he's like, Hey man, I was wondering if you could, you could take these for a lap. And it was such a, it was such a cool, like touching thing, man. And, um, I took the gloves and I, I had them all month and I was trying to figure out when was the best time to do it. 
and I decided to put him in my suit for qualifying. So the, the first day of qualifying on the Saturday, tucked him into my suit because the four laps of qualifying in Indy is like the coolest thing that we get to do all year. I mean, it's the scariest thing that we do. It's the like bravest, toughest, coolest thing that we do all year. And so I was like, this is, this is what Greg needs to have a, have a taste of is qualifying in Indy. And so I tucked him into my suit. I got in the car and we ended up going P1. P1. That was a big deal because uh, the year before that uh, was the, the year of your big crash, right? Well, no. So this was that, that was wrong? a few years later. That was a few years yeah, later. Yeah. Okay. So, so this yeah, was before yeah. that. I got you. This was before that. Yeah, we ended up. So that was the first round of qualifying. We ended up qualifying That's second right. the second day. Uh, it was my first front row start. It was just cool though to have them have them with me and and uh, we went, I mean we hadn't really been P one up to that like really in the fight for first at that point. Yeah. And then it was like all right, maybe had a little help that time. You know, one of the things that we love doing here is just kind of listening to how people ascend to where you're at to as a professional race car driver now you already have an interesting start because you know your dad's going through a midlife crisis i don't think we've heard that one yet have you we have not so how at some point you had to get good right and midlife crises don't make you good they just get you on a track (laughs) they may get you a car so how did you get good i mean you're now you climbed what was that like and how did that happen a lot of hard work, man. I'm not gonna lie to you. It was, uh, it was, it was tough. So you know, growing up in Canada, there are not as many sponsors around. We don't have, you know, we're just smaller countries, fewer drivers, you know, less of a kind of infrastructure for young drivers. Um, and then on top of that, when I first started, man, I sucked. I was not good. Yeah, I was not one of these like natural talents. You just chucked him in a cart, and he's like, "Oh, this kid's going somewhere." I, I finished last <laughs> every single race of you, my rookie season in carts. You finished last, and I remember, you said? but last every single race for a full year and i remember like mid-season my dad being like you know if this isn't fun for you anymore (laughs) we can stop and i was like no 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 i love it and i'm getting better like i I remember the race where i didn't get lapped for the first time i finished (laughs) i remember that and i'm like this is progress we're getting there (laughs) but uh, but like again like i didn't i didn't start this to be a racing driver, right? Like this was a hobby. I, I liked racing. A lot of kids play hockey knowing they're never going to be in the NHL, right? I started karting because my dad and I liked racing. It's what we did on weekends, you know? And then every, you know, every year you get older, you kind of move up classes. The carts get a bit faster. The competition gets a bit harder. And every year I seem to do better and I seem to enjoy it more. And, and when I was about 14, there was like, you know, the pro karting tour that runs all around North America. And there was a guy that, hangs out at kind of my local track that ran a team there. And he's like, Hey man, I think you're good enough to try the the pro tour. And I'd never really considered it before, but I thought, all right, if, if he thinks I can do it, let's take a, take a stab at it. And so that's now all the kids that are, you know, since the age of five have been, you know, thinking about wanting to be a racing driver or whatever. And so I, I figured if I could go there and compete with those people, then, you know, maybe I do have a shot. So at 14 is when I really kind of like changed my mindset, my mentality to really put in, all the effort that I needed to put in to, to try to take a shot at this. And even still, I'm like, this is a one in a billion. It's not going to happen, but we'll, we'll write it out. My dad and I kind of like, yeah, we'll hang on to this as long as we can and have fun or whatever. And because neither one of us really thought it was going to happen, you know, school was very important to my parents, understandably. So like I had a deal in high school where I had to maintain an 80 average or the racing stopped, mm. you know, and then I, That's I went reasonable. to yeah. 80. For sure. Hey, that's for a, sure. It's a B minus. It, it kept me, it kept me motivated to do schoolwork. You know, it, uh, 70 was kept me out of trouble. 
Hold on, now we have Wait, a debate going on so on grades. Hinch, Hinch. <laughs> the gra- so what was an yeah. what what when you were going to school and you had to have an eighty average? What was an F? Uh, a fail was a uh, below sixty. Okay, yeah. it was below yeah. seventy for me. I'm old as hell. Jeez. Uh, wow. Fail was below seventy. Yeah. What? Man, most now you of know my what? friends wouldn't have graduated high school. So yeah. an eighty would be in a C, but they changed the scale since then. Now I yeah. know why you went to six different schools. Not because I failed. Yeah, well, because of grades. Yeah. Okay. Well, did you make good grades? I I made. I, I think I graduated with an eighty-eight. So that's awesome. That was Look that was you. enough to keep racing. Yeah. That's all I needed. That's a good you know? B. That's Dean's list around here. I'm yeah. telling you. <laughs> <laughs> so all right. So you weren't planning on being a race car driver, but you just kind of progressed. What do you know? What you were gonna? What were you? What were you gonna be? Did you know at fourteen? Oh man. I mean, you're a pretty no. good student. That, like, uh, what did you want? I mean, all right, you probably wanted somewhere in the back of your mind to be a race car driver, but you probably had a plan yeah. B. What was it? Um, well, so I honestly, my plan B was because I was, I was way before I ever drove a go kart, I was just such a fan of the sport. Like, I was just hooked on racing. Okay. And so I figured, okay, let's, let's get involved somehow and contemplated like going the engineer route at mm. one point, um, but ended up landing on. Um, I, I wanted to be a journalist. I wanted to be a, uh, like a motorsports journalist if I couldn't be a driver. So that way I knew I could be at the track and watching the racing and reporting on racing. Like that was just my way to still be kind of connected. Um, <laughs> one of these professions and, pays more than the other. Yeah. So, so here's the funny thing, right? So, uh, so I graduate high school and I'm not quite at a point yet where it's a sure thing. Like we're getting closer, but my parents were like, look, you still have, you got to go to school. You got to go to university. And I was like, all right, fair enough. So we're thinking about it. Like, all right, what, what could I do in school that would benefit my, my driving career the most? And so obviously the natural answer is engineering, right? So my last year of high school, I did all the classes to get into engineering school. I did all the physics and the, and the maths and algebras and all that stuff. Right. And I got the grades and it it ended and I kind of went to my parents and I was like, okay, here's the deal. You asked me to do this or like, sorry, we agreed that this was the way to to go. Uh, I did the work. I got the grades. I did not enjoy a single minute of it. Wow. And so I said, I was like, I cannot make myself do this for the next four years because I will, I will just, I will lose my mind. I just did not enjoy it. And so they said, okay, fair enough. Um, what would you rather do? And I was like, I want to go to journalism school in case, you know, I, I could uh, race his work out. I might go that route. And, uh, and they were like, yeah, no, you're definitely not doing that. What else? <laughs> so I was like, business school. They're like, yeah, racing's Better. a business. You can do that. I'm like, okay, cool. So I went to business school. You know, instead. I, I was the same way. I wanted to be a sports writer. I wanted to be a journalist. And then I started to understand that uh, every, I would go to talk to journalists. I'd go talk to sports writers and they were always trying to talk me out of it. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, maybe I'm, I should draw a conclusion on this. They keep trying to talk me out of it. <laughs> Why is that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess it was a blessing in disguise. I don't know, but I mean, the, the, the short, the short version is I was only there for a year and a half and then we got an opportunity that was like, all right, now we got to focus solely on the, on the racing deal. If we're going to take a shot at it. What and, opportunity was that? So that was to race in, uh, in the Atlantic series, uh, which, you know, when, when we had the split with cart and IRL, there was, there's Indy lights to Indy car. Then there was Atlantic to, to cart. So kind of one below the top yeah. level. And it was driving for Forsyth, which, you know, was an Indy car team. 
that had a history of promoting young Canadian talent. It was just like a great opportunity where Greg had, had raced, where what, PT raced. Okay, you know. so at that you're get. What do you think led to that opportunity? What was it on the track that they saw? What did you do? What did you win? Where they were like, "Oh, we're giving this guy a call." So the year before that, uh, I raced in a series called. It was called Pro Mazda at the time. It's now called Indy Pro Two Thousand, yep. I think. And uh, so it's you know it's on the road to Indy. And I had a really really good year against a really stacked group. So you know back then the road to the ladder system, the road to Indy didn't exist in the same way it does now. It was a lot more sort of fragmented, right? And so every off season, my dad and I would sit there and we'd say, okay, what series has the best competition for next year? Because that's the only way you're going to yeah. get better. And so this year, the top five in points in Pro Mazda that year, four of them became IndyCar drivers. Oh, what was the whose car did you drive in, the, in that Pro Mazda? So I drove uh, a team called Aim Autosport, um, Canadian team. They now run uh, with Vassar Sullivan in uh, in IMSA, uh-huh. but we kind of started that. And we were like, we were the dudes with the 24 foot trailer and a, and a, and a pickup truck compared yeah. to the guys with the, you know, the haulers and the 53 foot deals and four car teams and stuff. So we did a pretty good job that year. Had some really good battles, won a bunch of races. Um, and, and that was kind of the season that led to Forsyth, who was firing up their Atlantic team again, after a couple years off, they came to me and said, Hey, we want to test you and, and give you a shot at this. So you went to test in mm-hmm. that car and well, you, I mean, gotta be freaking Nervous, right? Because this is real. This is like you're getting into the real stuff here. Yeah, that's yeah, that's when it starts getting getting weird. And you, you've never had that experience before, right? Like up to that point, you go out, you beg, borrow, and steal for the money. You go to a team and say, "Please take my money and let me drive your car." Now all of a sudden, you got a team saying, "Like you got to try out for this." Don't get me wrong; we still had to bring some money, but you know, <laughs> they could have taken money from anybody at that point because they were like the biggest name in the series. Uh, and you know, we did a test and so it's hard to know how to prepare for that. Right. Cause this is kind of the first time in your career where you're really in that situation, but you know what it's like. You just, you focus on what you got to do. You do all your homework. You get a good night's sleep the night before. Where did you, test? you just get in the car and do what you do. Uh, we tested at Sebring, which is where we do a lot of our testing. Okay. So you knew the track really well. Knew the track. Yeah. Was there other drivers there? Uh, there was one other guy at that test. Who was um, it? It was a guy named I don't remember his name now. I can picture. Do you his like face. look back remember. over the time? Do you look back at um you know that for him him for example or other guys that you raced with in that series and and the series before and and see where they are? Do you kind of kind of yeah man all the time that? all the time I run into guys uh, all over the place that you used to race against or like you know social media has made it really easy for people to yeah. reach out and and kind of keep keep tabs on people and it's it's crazy to see how people's lives end up you know and how they <laughs> all kind of go in different directions yeah. So what, what's the moment? Like, is it a phone call, text message where you get an opportunity to go IndyCar racing? What's, what, how does that happen? So I, so you fast forward a couple of years, IndyCar and, and cart merge and now we're one series. So I end up in the Indy light series, have a good year in 2010 what's a good and year? get a phone call. Uh, second in points one, it was the closest points margin in history Who at won? the time. Uh, a kid called J.K. Vernet, uh, French at. guy. I think he's doing some sports car stuff over in Europe. Last time I checked, mm-hmm. um, yeah, he was a really talented guy. And um, we got a call from Newman Haas, who you know, I mean, seven-time series champions. They ran Bordet to four straight. They ran Michael and Mario back in the day. And 
and they said, Hey, we, we've, we're, we've got a driver lined up for next year. He's a veteran and we wanted to run a second car with a rookie. We want to kind of have that, you know, that balance. And, uh, we're looking at you as one of the options. Will you come do a test at Sebring? And th- so this is it. Like that's now, that's, that's now it. the moment, right? Yep. Like this is the real phone call. And this is the one you're like, okay, everything that I've given up, everything I've sacrificed, all the hard work, all the sleepless nights, all the, you know, everything is literally for this moment. And it was, uh, it was a two day test, which was awesome. So it gave me a little extra time in the car and they had the other driver there who was Oriel Servia and, uh, who's, you know, a very good friend of mine. And we go do the test and, and long story short, end of the second day, last run of the day, strap on new tires. And we ended up like just under a 10th faster than Oriel. Mm. And so, so you like, you get out of the car and you're like, okay, so I had this opportunity. This was the chance. They had a veteran there. I went quick. I did everything I was supposed to do. It was like this little, this mini mic drop moment. You know, you're like, okay, that's it. That's what you had to do. And we got a call. They're like, all right, yeah, James, good job. We'll, we'll be in touch. Cool. So two weeks later, I think I got a phone call saying, all right, great job at the test. Uh, We love what you did. We, We want you to drive for us. We want to send you a deal. The only problem is we don't have a sponsor for your car yet. Mm. I said, okay, but you guys are Newman Haas. Like you'll figure this out. Like this is your Newman Haas. That's not, that's not going to be the, and they said like, now that we know the driver, we can go talk to sponsors and it'll be fine. I'm like, cool. So it's not like we had other options. Right. So, (laughs) so you sign the deal and you just sort of pray at that point. And there was a drop dead date by which we had to have money in the bank to get a car prepped and down to St. Pete for the first race. And that day came and that day went and we mm. had no money. Oh man. And it was bad, man, because so like sidebar, when I, when I stopped school for that opportunity with Forsyth, you know, my parents said, okay, go talk to your school and see what kind of deal you can work out. And they basically gave me a five-year deferral. So I could come back anytime in the next five years and just pick up where I left off. And so my parents at the time said to me, okay, cool. You've got five years to make a living <laughs> as a driver or you're going back to school. I'm like five years, no problem, right? So, so I'm, I'm I go down to St. Pete for that first race with the team. I don't have a car. I'm standing on pit wall watching everyone else drive around, and I think to myself, like, well, this is it. You know, I I did everything I could do, everything that was in my control. I did. I executed when I had to, but for whatever reason, it just wasn't meant to be. And I've had a I've had an awesome run. I've got to do some incredibly cool things over this time. I'll I'll live this summer out traveling around to the races, you know, and, and then I guess because that September was the end of my five years. Oh man. So I'm like, so that, I guess that's, that's it for me. Time's so, up. uh, yeah. time's up. And then I kid you not, it's the Saturday night of St. Pete. We got a call back from one of our sponsors saying, okay, we're in, can we be on track for the next race? And so two weeks later I made my IndyCar debut at Barber. Wow. That's something. So you had um, to miss the first race. How that, I mean, did it matter? Were you like, you know, that sucks, but I'm here. I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm yeah. No, I mean, once, once you get the call saying you're going into car racing, yeah. you don't care what's happened any moment up to that point. Right. You know, uh, the only thing that, the only thing that we thought about was like, oh man. So that's one, we only, you only get one shot of rookie of the year. Yeah. Right. And so you're like, okay, mm-hmm. we're, we're a race behind. And it was a good crop of rookies that year. There was like three or four full-time guys, uh, some, some good young drivers. So we were like, ah, oh, that, that kind of sucks, but Hey, we're going racing. So no complaints. I got to ask this question just cause I'm, I'm being a driver. You, um, you've been driving all these other race cars for your whole life. What was the, was it a huge jump into the IndyCar? Had you ever had any 
opportunity to drive an indie car before that for any reason was there so what was was it a big challenge to to get into that car because of the power and the way it drove so i when i signed with forsyth at atlantic you know four years prior or whatever um one of the perks was each of the drivers they signed got a half day in the cart car in the champ car and so at that point, I'm coming out of a pro Mazda car. I don't know. We'd only done one test in the Atlanta car even, and they threw us for a half day in the, in the champ car. And that was, you know, the Lola tons of downforce, 700 horsepower, seven gears. Like that thing was gnarly. And I was nowhere near qualified or prepared to drive it. So I'm glad it was only a half day. I didn't embarrass myself too badly. But that, that was obviously several years prior. And so when I jumped in the Indy car, what I will say is that the Indy Lights car was such a – well-designed stepping stone you know it was it, it handled it was you know it was another Delara chassis used firestone tires so all there's some similarities and basically it just did everything 20 percent better ah. so it had 20 percent more power 20 percent more downforce 20 percent better brakes and so it actually wasn't that hard to kind of get around you know get get up to speed and the driving style was kind of similar because the tires were similar so it was actually a, a really nice progression and the ladder system really works i think as a result i'm still sort of terrified for you listening to these stories and i always am by the way dale because you guys you know testing i know that y'all just gloss over testing i mean you know when people especially when you're on your first test that's so unique in racing because you got so much responsibility to not wreck i mean like not wreck, not wad up the car, right? Yeah. You know, most people, you know, like in other sports, you go run a 40-yard dash, jump on a block, walk around in your underwear a little bit, see if you're toned, whatever. I mean, you know, that, that's it. <laughs> but you're, 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 you're running a car, and when he's talking about going and getting this test at Sebring, even though a track you're familiar with, I would be terrified not to wreck, not to even go off the course. And, and, and that's the thing, like finding that balance, right? Because obviously you don't want to look like a schmuck and, and write the car off your first time in it, but they want to know that you're fast. And so you do need to push and right. Where's that they need to know that your feedback, it's, it's a, it's a really tough balance, man. But that's, what's tough about being a driver in general. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, Dale, under, you can understand this. Like if you're a football player and you know, you, you suck at running the 40, fine. You can work every day at being better. You can practice that every single day we don't get to practice, right? right. Like, testing is gone. Like that, that's a thing of, of days, days gone by. And so as a young driver, when you make your, your start in the IndyCar and, or in NASCAR, or whatever you're, you're coming in with all your learning has to be done on race weekends when it matters, when there's points on the line, when there's people watching. So it's, it's a very difficult sport to get a grasp on and, and to get up to speed in because you can't just on your off days, go to the track and work on, let's say you're want to get better at restarts or you need to get better in and out of the box and pit lane. You can't do that. Can't do it. So the, the crash at Indianapolis five, uh, the Indianapolis 500 2015, it's a big turning point in your career, but d summarize your, your career up to that point in Indy. So I spent, um, so after 2011, we won rookie of the year, thought everything was great. They said, yeah, we want to sign you again. And then the team called me like December 1st and said, Hey, we're going out of business. We're done. You're, you don't have a ride anymore. Damn. I was like, damn it. <laughs> it was going so well. Um, and then, you know, uh, you know, obviously the worst thing in the world in, in, uh, the end of 2011, the last race, yeah, um, we lost Dan Weldon in an accident and, he had been um, 
pegged to drive the GoDaddy car with Danica moving over to NASCAR and never in a million years thought that I would have been thought of as a potential, you know, fill in for that seat. Uh, but it kind of came down to me and one other guy. And I got a call from Michael Andretti and said like, Hey, we want you in, in the GoDaddy car. And, um, that was, that was a, that was a tough thing for me in a lot of ways. And, you know, I, I called, I, I knew Dan's sister really well and I called her and I talked to the family about it a little bit. It was just a weird deal, you know, especially that young in my career and, um, got that ride, uh, had a lot of success, did three year stint with Andretti, won a couple of races. And, uh, then we had a sponsor, we had a, in the middle of a contract, a sponsor kind of went out of business and it was happened late in the year. We didn't have a backup sponsor. So I had to switch teams and I moved over to Schmidt Peterson Motorsports, uh, in 2015. So that was my first year with, uh, with the new team when, when we went to Indy for the first time together and that happened. <laughs> So, so tell us about that. Tell me about that crash. Um, what you remember about it? Uh, luckily nothing. Uh, I, uh, <laughs> we were, we were practicing. It was the Monday after qualifying. We were practicing, just doing some race running. I was, I was running around behind Montoya in a nice big toe and we had a suspension component fail in the middle of turn three at about, you know, 225 miles an hour. And it just, it just torpedoed the car straight into the wall. And that's, that's bad on a good day. But on a bad day, uh, on top of just hitting the wall like that, uh, a piece of the suspension actually fired through the tub of the car rather than just crumpling. It's like, you know, you push an egg end to end, it won't break. It hit that perfect angle where the suspension didn't fold. It just shot through the car and it went straight through me. I got shish kebobbed by, a, by a, an A-arm. Where exactly? An A-arm. Holy. <clears throat> well, um, <laughs> so it kind of went in it went in kind of right under my uh, right butt cheek and then kind of like up and out my left hip. Wow. And, and well, it was all like, the way it was, through? It was, well, it was like stuck in me. So it stuck into the other side of the tub. Uh -huh. So it was like that one end was sticking out of the tub on one side and one end was jammed into the tub on the other so side. And it all was the way through you. The, yeah, yeah. I was hinge kebobbed. Oh, yeah. You, I, I see what so, you mean. You were impaled. Yeah, I was I was quite literally shish kebobbed, and uh, what and so what, what the real issue was that it hit the um, the femoral artery in, in my left leg, and so I was I was bleeding out uh, very quickly. And the safety team arrived on the scene, and you know there are there are no amount of words or praise I can give that that group of people. They they literally saved my life. It was a very unique, bizarre injury, not something they really had a lot of training or protocols for. Cause it just doesn't happen. It's just yeah. not something that happens, but they are all professionals. They thought on their feet, they got me out of the car. They got me straight in an ambulance. Like we skipped the med center. We went straight to the hospital. They were just trying to keep blood in me because yeah. they had, they, they didn't know where all the holes were. Right. Because it was sort of a weird scenario. Do you know? And so they're trying to, do you know how they got you out? Like, what's the, did they, what, what do they, like, yeah. they pull that piece of suspension out of the car and then they pluck you out of there? What's the, yeah. So, like, you know, if, 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 if anyone, anyone listening knows anything about, you know, being impaled by things, the general rule is you're supposed to leave it in until you get to the hospital. Right. Because right? it plugs the problem the is, right, right. The problem is, and you could do more damage taking it out. Sure. And then if you're like on the scene, you don't, but, they didn't know that I'd been impaled and I was conscious, but very concussed and not making any sense. And I could, I was just, I guess my body was in such shock. I couldn't verbalize what was wrong or what had happened. 
And so they said they went to go pick me up out of the car and they're like, man, he's heavy. This is weird. And they're like, all right, well, let's just try, let's just get the spreaders out and try to open maybe the seats, you know, the seat and the impact, the tub maybe folded in a bit and he's kind of crunched in his seat. So they get the the spreaders and over the, the cockpit opening, they kind of spread it. And they said they heard this loud pop, like this huge release of pressure, which we now know was the other end of the, the A-arm tub. But they didn't know at the time. And so they, they put their hands under me again to pick me up. And someone's like, why is it so warm? And they take their hands out and they're covered in blood. And like, we've got to get him out of this car. We have no idea what is happening. We need to get him out of this car. So they just pulled me out. And as they pulled me out, the suspension stayed in the car. Ouch. And so they they pulled me off it and they pulled me out and they hear this thud. And the guy's like, oh, my radio must have fallen off my belt. And he looks down and he sees the A-arm sitting in my seat in a pool of blood. And they start to piece together what happened. Yeah. And they're like, oh, this is, this is bad. And so, yeah, they were just getting me the hot. They were pumping blood in as fast as they could. I was just dropping it even quicker. So I had 22 units of blood put into me on the way to the hospital. My body only holds 11. So I had two full oil changes, you know, <laughs> before they got me in the OR. There was no way for them to try to minimize the blood loss. So you're losing blood and they're just pumping it they in were, there. They were trying. They were like packing sure. holes with stuff, but it just kept coming out because they, I mean, the, they were they were big holes by that point. <laughs> when do you what yeah. what do you recall getting your memory back to on things? Were you in the hospital? I'm like what, when you first sort of get your memory back? Yeah. So so the last thing I remember is kind of crossing start finish line at the start of that lap. Then it all goes blank. And my next memory is I'm staring up at six bright lights, ten very concerned people staring down at me. I'm on a backboard and a neck brace. I have a you know, tube down my throat. I can't talk. So they give me a pen. I think to myself, like, this isn't good. I've been here before. This isn't a good thing. And uh, they gave me a pen and a piece of paper. And uh, I, that's how I had to communicate. And um, one of the guys there was actually Marco Andretti. Uh, a very good friend of mine and and he had come to the hospital and uh and so I was I was writing him on a piece of paper saying like hey like what happened and he tried to explain it to me and I'll be honest man it took me about 5 days before whether you know combination of being concussed and probably on a lot of painkillers and what and just the bizarre nature of the accident it took me about 5 days to really understand what actually happened but it's funny Marco still has that piece of paper that, that I was, you know, talking to him on in the hospital that day. No kidding. Yeah. So wow. what what were the injuries that you had to rehab from? So obviously, you know, you can get the blood vessel fixed. You can get holes stitched up. But what was rehab like? So, yeah, rehab was – so honestly, as, as unlucky as that accident was, I was also super, super lucky because the injuries could have been so much worse. I, once they got the artery buttoned up, it was, it was really just a bunch of tissue damage. I didn't have any broken bones. Um, there was, there was nothing but just these holes that we had to, you know, let heal. And so rehab for me, you know, the, the doctors said, they're like, look, athletes make the worst patients, right? Cause you guys just push yourselves. Like that's how you're wired is to do more and push harder, push faster, whatever. And he goes, I cannot stress this enough. You need to do nothing. Mm. Your body just needs to heal. You need to rest and do nothing. And it's so counterintuitive, yeah. you know, for a competitive person, like you just want to do more. And so what I did was I, I made, I made doing nothing a competition with myself. <laughs> so like they would, they gave me a pedometer and that, so like, you know, I was, I was, 
I was in hospital for about two weeks or 10 days, I think. 10 days I was in hospital and then I finally got to go home. And they're like, okay, uh, you're allowed to walk 600 steps a day to start. That's it. And I was like, okay. So they're like, we need you to get some blood flowing, but you can't overexert yourself. So I'm like, all right. So I put my pedometer on and I would get up and I would walk laps around my couch until I hit 600 steps. And I'd lay back down on my couch and be like, okay. And I would plan my day, my meals, my bathroom breaks over like how I could move as little as possible and do as little as possible. And I could like rate myself every day on that. And as soon as I could like keep that competitive side of me somehow engaged by doing nothing, it, it was great and it worked well. And we were in a car two months sooner than, than the doctors thought we were going to be. So do you have anything uh, as a memento from that crash? Did you save anything? So they, they wouldn't let me keep anything from the car oh, or darn. anything like that. I would have kept that, um, that AR. suspension AR. <laughs> yeah. I know, right? Yeah. I wanted it. They, they, they burned it all, I think, as a biohazard at that point. But so so – the 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 surgeon who was who was working at the track that day who is the guy the guy that flat out saved my life he's you know the the one that did the surgery on my leg and was there at the track whatever whatever he tells this funny story he was in the in the med center in the infield there it was him and another doctor and he was having like a post lunch nap he was just snoozing in his chair and uh, <laughs> and my accident happens and the guy sees it on the thing and he could just tell that it's bad and so he was eating these little those little peanut butter pretzel bite things mm -hmm. with his lunch and he said he threw one and it hit my doctor right in the middle of his forehead and he woke him up and was like hey doofus get up we got work to do <laughs> and so so my my doctor because i wasn't allowed to keep anything from the car he went and got me <laughs> one of those things framed as the pretzel that kicked his butt into gear so he could save my life so that's that awesome. sits in the office proudly that's funny <laughs> And Marco has the the uh, the, note. the, the notes, which I bet yeah, are Marco's uh, got the note. hilarious to look at at well, this point. It's funny because so so Marco yeah, and you you know Dale, you, you probably follow him on social media and stuff. He, kid loves to run, loves to run, loves to tell people he's running, and so it was always this inside joke with us that he's always like busting out five Ks and tweeting and, and Instagramming about busting out five Ks, right? So. I'm laying there in hospital. I'm like, you know, what happened? Am I going to be okay? Can I drive again? All these serious things. And then, um, and then Marco says something like, you know, nice and, and sweet and uplifting and motivating to me. And I write back and I was like, don't worry, I'll be busting out 5Ks in no time. And he reads the note and he looks up at the doctor and goes, he's fine. I'm going to head out back to the train. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So you, um, Smith Peterson Racing, you were, you're driving for them. They become Aero McLaren. Right. Yes. And uh, and then they let you go. And that was a big shock for you. You know, that came out of nowhere. Yeah. I mean, in a lot of ways, yes. I mean, we, we had a contract, so it wasn't like I wasn't in a contract here. Yeah. Um, and there were a lot of changes coming in with McLaren and then switching from Honda to Chevy Motors. And I've been a Honda guy almost my entire career and uh, had really close ties with those guys back up in Canada and whatever. So it was a lot of it was a lot of change for me. And, um, you know, when it all first kind of kicked off, uh, I, I asked them straight up, I was like, Hey, I realize this is a lot of change. Are you looking to change the driver lineup? Because I get it. Like, I, I understand how this works. And if that's, if that's a path you're going down, just, just give me a heads up. Just let me know. Uh, Cause at that point I had, like, as soon as the Chevy thing was announced, I had Honda teams calling me saying like, Hey man, are you, are you getting out of there? And I said, no, I've, I've got a contract, you know, like I'd love to stick with Honda, but I've got a contract. I got to honor that. 
and was told that everything was fine until, you know, way late in the year when all rides are gone. They decided to say, oh, yeah, we're actually we're not going to honor your contract next year. So it, it was a shock because we'd been told that we were good to go. And I had made a lot of sacrifices and, and separated relationships to kind of hold up my end of the bargain. Yeah. But it's it's business. It is what it is. And everything happens for a reason. I do truly believe that, you know, and uh, I now have, you know, made it made it back to Andretti Autosport, which is a team I had a great run with, um, you know, 12, 13, 14, and an incredible new partner in Genesis that, I think, you know, we're going to be together for a long time and those opportunities wouldn't, wouldn't have come around otherwise. So it's uh, the way it went down. Yeah. It wasn't, wasn't the best, but at the end of the day, man, uh, like I said, everything happens for a reason. And I think I'm in a, as good a spot as I've ever been. Yeah. You're running a part-time schedule with Andretti this year. Um, how much, how much pressure I think do you put on yourself to, to get the results in each and every opportunity, I guess, let me know how how much pressure you feel and how close do you feel to 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 being able to announce a full-time ride like where what's what's the obstacles for you for sure so you know in, in terms of in terms of the pressure you know i think as a driver you know we put so much pressure on ourselves every time we get in a car regardless of any kind of external factors and that's not going to change you know i people were like oh you do you really just want to beat those guys? Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, I, I want to beat everybody, you know? And I've, I've never been, some, every, every guy's different, right? Every, every driver's mind is different. And, and some guys are fueled by like anger or, you know, you know, those guys that get like hit on the first lap of a race and sent to the back and then just, just drive storm through the field. Cause they're just angry. just driving with the red mist and go straight through. That's never been my style. You know, I'm, I'm, I, I like to stay cool and calm in the car as best I can that's when I do my best. And so I can't change anybody else's deal. I can't focus on anybody else's thing. I focus on me, what I can do, what I can control. And I know we've got a great team around us for Indy this year. Andretti's always got great cars at the speedway. And so the, the pressure's there, but the pressure's there because I want to do well and I want to do well for my team and for my partners. And, uh, and then hopefully, yeah, that sets you up great for next year. And we've, we've certainly already started those conversations. Um, Genesis is such a, it's such a unique story because this was their first, you know, foray into racing and 2020 was a hell of a year to try to get yeah. into motorsport. <laughs> no kidding. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, we had a three race deal. Luckily all three of my races were races that stayed on the calendar. So the first one was Texas, which Genesis was actually the entitlement sponsor of. Uh, then we did the Indy GP and then now the 500, we haven't had fans at any of those races. So we've got this company that's new to racing and they've, I mean, they've gone over the top and it's been awesome. They've bought billboards around town. They bought out all the ad space in the airport. Like they are all in, it's just awesome to see. And they haven't seen their car on track in person yet. Mm. And it's like, it's just heartbreaking for me. We want to share that experience with them and show them, you know, what they've done. Um, I think we're going to get some of them hopefully out at some point during the week uh, here at Indy. But the fact that they're they're still you know excited about talking you know twenty twenty one and beyond is uh, is a testament to what a great company it is and what a great program we've put together. So fingers crossed, you know, in the next I don't know not too distant future we'll be uh, we'll be announcing something full time. Well, you mentioned the Indy five hundred coming up. How do how do you approach that race? I mean, you said it's 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 a different year. Uh, all this this all this experience through COVID and all the limitations has changed everything for, for, you know, just for everybody in the country, but motorsports as well. Um, what will the Indy 500 be like this year for the series? It's not even in May. 
uh, <laughs> which is you're so weird. It is. Um, but it's still the Indy 500. It's still the it's still the biggest spectacle and the biggest most important motorsport event in North America, which I was hard for me to say for many years until I went to it and saw it in person. But it's it's no 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 denying its its importance. Um, you know what's a good day? What's a good what's a good run for you? What what are you willing to accept? Obviously, there's the win. There's there's a, a podium, a, a top five. But what are you willing to walk out of there and go? Okay, I'm I'm happy with that. So, you know, when you're running a limited schedule and when you're, you know, the extra car on a team, um, I, I, we nickname it, we call it the bonus Jonas, right? <laughs> so when you're like that extra, that extra car, extra, oh yeah, there's all these, oh, there's another one. I didn't know yeah. that. There's, there's always going to be, it's always a little bit more of a challenge. You know, I haven't had the opportunity to gel with my engineer as much. I haven't had as much time on track, all that stuff, whatever. Um, so you always come in with some kind of tempered expectation, you always want to win. And, and especially Indy, like you said, I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely a different year. It's going to feel weird. Um, but it's still the 500 and it's still 33 cars going out there doing battle. And what I leave there thinking, okay, job done is if everyone on my team, you know, my engineers, my mechanics, myself, we kind of look each other in the eye at the end of the day and said, that was the best job we could have done. Mm. And, and there's just, there's so many things outside of your control in a race, as you know, and I always try really hard to not put like a quantitative goal on the table for me and my team, because we could do everything that are, that's in our control that would achieve that, but something totally out of our control could throw it out. I don't want us to feel like we failed because the result wasn't what it should have been or what it could have been. Right. So at the end of the day, we can all look at each other and say, look, I, I, drove my tail off on track, made good decisions. The engineers made good strategy calls and set the car up right. The mechanics did their job, buttoned everything up. We're good in the pit stops. If if we did all those things, chances are the result's going to be something you're pretty happy with anyway. But even if it's not, that that's something we can be proud of because that's something you can build on for the future. Mm. Well, man, we appreciate your time today. Um, you're one of the most respected guys in, in the series uh, you know, the, 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 the little bit that I've really kind of been able to get behind the closed doors of, of IndyCar, um, you're, you're mentioned and, and respected and appreciated by most, uh, most all the series. And, and it's a great opportunity to have you on our show to talk about your, your Indy 500 coming up and, and, and to tell your story. We didn't get to everything. So we'll have to, have to get you back on here to talk a little bit more about what's going on in your life. And hopefully we've got more to announce uh, and more to talk about next year. Um, for sure man yeah so thank you hinchtown and uh where where does hinchtown come from who who gave you that it came from a a basement office in luddington michigan (laughs) over a case of beer (laughs) when we were trying to trying to come up with something clever and after 24 beers that's that's as good as we could do so sometimes the best ideas come from a case of beer (laughs) Canadians yeah, have beer stories. I don't know if yeah. you know that. Or I should not, have a couple good ca- ideas Canadians, by the end of this week. You Canadians like to drink, right? It's uh, we sure do. We sure well, do. I that's mean, that's what we have to I mean, get into. I'm I'm here in my office, and it's never oh far away God, from this guy. <laughs> Look at him, Bourbon? Look at him. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Well, man, we appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. No, thanks, man. We have to have you on. I got a, a podcast with Alexander Rossi that we do. We got to have you on someday. Wow. Yeah, I'd love to, man. Let me know. Awesome. I'll be there. Yeah, yeah. We'll All set right. it up, bud. You got it. Hey, good luck Cheers. in Indy. We'll be we'll be watching. Thanks very you, much. Yep. Appreciate you guys. 
we really need to have you at this table and yeah. And, yeah. and really and just 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 so much better than town, over Zoom, right? And pour one of these and, bring and that. get into it. Yeah, <laughs> that's what that's welcome inside these doors. <laughs> yes, it is. We've done it in the mornings. Yes, love it, man. All right, man. Let's yeah, do that. let's do it. We'll see you soon. Take care, man. All right, and, uh, we'll leave. see you in a bit, guys. Thank you. Leafs suck. See ya. Oh, oh look at that. <laughs> <laughs> Low blow, man. I'm still in mourning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. See you guys. Thanks again. All right, guys. We got Jeff Dickerson on here. Let's uh, let's bring him in. There he is. Look at this guy. <laughs> <laughs> got his earbuds in, just like a. Look at this. It's like welcome. Yes, yeah, 2020. There you go. Hi, right, folks. We got Jeff Dickerson here on the line. Jeff, um, I, I've known you for a while. Spire was an agency, or is an agency, right, that represents drivers. Is that how it started? So we started, um, we had this weird concept. Uh, we were not just going to represent drivers at Spire, right? Because, you know, when we when we first started, this is probably in 2009 or 10, right? It was after that first economic kind of drop. So we kind of had this crazy scheme where it was, you can represent all the drivers in the world, but if there's no teams right for for them to drive for then who are they going to drive for yeah right so we started working with um with teams and sponsors and we figured that if we brought those sponsors to teams well the first time if they needed a driver they would call us right so that was our idea well man we'll we'll, we'll work with the teams we'll work with the sponsors and we'll work with the drivers and we'll just see if it works and somehow it worked right and so yeah. you know aspire i think i think it's always um it's always sexy to talk about the drivers and their, you know, contracts and stuff like that. But it was, you know, the drivers are pro- were probably only ten or fifteen percent of the business. It was, it was bringing sponsors and and um, and and working with teams. And then you, you know, just recently um, you bought the seventy seven charter from Furniture Row in two thousand eighteen. So what makes you guys go, okay, we're going to have we're, we got the we got the sponsors and the drivers deal, so we can take that package to teams. Now I want to own a team. What? Why would you guys want uh, to buy that charter? So that's a great question too. Um, we didn't at first, right? So we, we, we worked, you know, one of the teams we worked with was, was Furniture Row. We drove um, a lot of the sponsorships that they had, we drove, you know, to them. And so what we really wanted to do was sell that charter for them, right? And, yeah. and it would have been a lot less. We would have made probably a lot more money and we would have, you know, just gone about our merry way. But um, Barney um, was talking to my partner, TJ, in Vegas, and he said, well, why don't you guys do it? And we're like, yeah, we don't, you know, what is that? You know, how the heck are we going to do that, right? And so, but that's essentially how it, you know, how it started. And so, and it all happened super fast. It all happened about in a week in September of, or October of, of, of 2018. And, you know, we had to pull a lot of things together in a short period of time, but it's, it essentially um, put us to where we are today. So you didn't want to be a, you didn't want to own the charter. Now he says, why don't you own the charter? I will sell it to you. At some point you guys had to go, okay, so this is going to, you know, this is going to work out for us. What happened? So it was, you know, and, and, and Mike, it's, it's, it's hard to say it. Right. So it's like, you know, we obviously gen seven or next gen as it's called now, gen seven was being whispered about then. Right. And being talked about then for 2020, the new car. And so, and the new car. And so what we were like, it's like, okay, well, we could, we could try to bridge this or do this, you know, because again, we were, we, were, we had to do something super fast. Right. And, um, the, uh, um, 
and in some ways, you know, we had to find somebody that was, you know, just as just as crazy as us, you know, to do it. Right. And so that's that's where we, you know, when we ended up over a premium and, 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 and with Jay. But the bet was always on Gen 7. Jay Robinson. You know, Jay Robinson. Yeah. So the, 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 the bet was always on Gen 7. That was that was, you know, I had kind of, you know, coming from the IndyCar stuff myself, you know, and, and, and still having clients like you just had one of ours on, I think, before me. Mm-hmm. Right. Is is, um, you know, we see how that model works and so working really close with with chip. Now, I'm not saying let's make NASCAR IndyCar, but there are components of NASCAR of IndyCar that we could probably learn from over here. And we're kind of hoping that Gen 7 is it. And so, you know, we've been building teams. Right. So when we talk about teams, junior and working with teams, you know, there's guys that we helped get for your 88 team, right? Because we work with Mr. H, right? So yep. we've been building teams for a long time. And so our thought was as the industry maybe contracts a little bit and Gen 7 comes on and there's people, well, okay, we've been building teams for others. Maybe this is something we can just do for ourselves, right? And so it was more about controlling our own destiny. And just to make one other point, when we talk about the agency business, you know, the agency business can be fickle, right? We're always one no away from, you know, being hurt, right? There's, you know, drivers have, you know, family and wives and girlfriends and everybody can do their job better than, or your job better than you, right? And so, you know, you never know what you're going to wake up to in the morning. And so this was just a matter. And when we talk about the other properties that we have, it's about controlling our own destiny. And we believe in, 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 in this, in this ownership model. All right. The rumor out there is you guys are buying the 95 charter. Is that true? I am here to announce to you we have bought the 95 <laughs> charter. What is it what happens when you go into buying like who's are you you know are you bidding on this are are there other people interested in buying it do you have to outbid everyone do you have to present some sort of plan for the company going forward what are the how does that happen what what what's the process All of that like you just <laughs> nailed it like all of that um so I think there's a, you know, and, 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 you know, I, it's not like I'm riffing through my NASCAR talking points or anything here for a second. Right. But I think there's this misnomer that, um, that charter values are going down. Okay. And I am, you know, it's funny. And, and again, on the agency side, you know, you may find yourself in some dark alleys every once in a while. And, you know, you so see, you go down one of these dark alleys and you're just like, Hey, what are you guys doing here? Right. And I mean, so like everybody, there was so many people that were on this charter. It's none of my business to talk about other charters that, that are going on in the sport, but the charter market is robust, right? The charter market um, values are going up. I don't think I'm talking out of line there, right? And okay. so, you know, are you outbidding people? Yes. Are you giving a vision? Yes. I mean, when you're talking about somebody like Bob Levine that, you know, was working with his family and pouring you know, I mean, you guys saw him, you know, I mean, how he connects with fans and, and so forth. Like, he's just a salt of the earth guy. To us, anyway, I don't think it was a matter of, hey, man, here's my asking price. Like, it's real estate. He wanted to know the vision. He wanted to know who was involved. He wanted to know where we were, where were we going, right? And so, um, you know, we had to check all those boxes. So, so and, what's and, the answer and, to that? Where are you going? What, what, you well, know. Uh, his shop, hopefully, right? His yeah. shop, okay. <laughs> but but you yeah. you have a vision. I mean, your your initial vision was no, you didn't want you weren't getting into this to own charter. Now you got two. Right. Now you're a two charter owner. You've announced it here. What's the plan? Because I love last week as we're doing our show, Leah drops in and says um, that the Levine family is selling their charter, and we were like, oh wow. And then five minutes later, she reads that Adam Stern tweet says. 
it looks like that Spire is going to buy it. And we just looked at each other and we were like, what does this mean? Yeah. What is Spire doing? What is, so what is Spire yeah. doing? Yeah, look, I think, I think there's a, a level of skepticism that is is natural and healthy right um i i uh um i remember um when we first did the 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 78 charter we had a meeting with steve phelps and steve o'donnell and i mean you guys are insiders so you guys know what we do right and he he was making this point where he said you guys have done all this and nobody's gonna know you know what you're gonna be known as it doesn't matter if you did this and did that you're gonna be known as whatever you are on sundays because it's the most public product that nascar has right so if you're looking at and i'm not gonna lie you know sometimes you know over the last couple years you know some of that criticism stings because we're like man well maybe maybe we're not as much on the inside as we thought right (laughs) but it's 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 um you know because you know you can't say like you're like man you guys are running like 33rd it's like yeah but did you see the deal we just did over here like nobody's here right <laughs> did so you see the insurance i, I just a, got this driver <laughs> yeah it's just like it's, disability insurance it's cool don't you guys know so um <laughs> you know like nobody and that's and again but that's it's kind of the truth it's like it, it stings a little bit because i think we've been contributors to the sport right i mean I, we've driven in you know uh, you know, I don't want to say hundreds of millions of dollars of sponsorship, but we've we've done our share. There's there's sponsors on your car right now, Junior. You know that we work with, right? Yeah. So it's like you know we we contribute, uh, and um, you know so when you're saying like what's the plan, it's it's hard to say this in a manner where you don't want to say it in a in a in a way. It's like we want to run better and do better things, but I don't want to say that in a way like we're knocking where we're at, right? Because those guys work just as hard as the guys at Hendrick, and those guys travel just as far to the races as, as, as Hendrick and they leave their families just as long. Mm-hmm. Right. But, you know, but perhaps we're trying to, um, in EMSA terms, maybe we're trying to, you know, instead of GTD, we're trying to run it, you know, GTLM, sure. you know, and, and just kind of take it step by step. And, you know, maybe the best way to say it is we want to do exactly what Bob was doing. Mm. Right. The 95 car was on a good path. Right. That's what we want to do. Right. I mean, when we did furniture row, it seemed like when we bought it, we're just like, Hey, don't you guys remember when the 78 used to show up and like miss races, you know? So, um, you know, that's our plan and that's what we're doing. All right. Well, I guess the, and that's, that's totally understandable and acceptable for, to, if I'm just a fan, which I am. So I'm sitting here and I'm like, all right, you know, yeah. you guys are, you know, you're going to, you're going to take this 77 car and, mm-hmm. I'm going to assume that your vision for the 77 car and the 95 team that you're buying, that both of those charters, we call them charters, but I'm going to say they're race teams. You know, they're yeah. cars, they're people, they're, they're motors, they're drivers, they go perform. Yep. I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt and say, all right, well, you're, you're now on, you're now, you now hope, and we all hope, uh, that you're on the same path that Bob started on that Furniture Rose started on, uh, that you re- you have a realistic opportunity to ladder up uh, and mm-hmm. improve year after year after year. Is there a point, and if that happens, right, if, if, if you guys uh, get more and more competitive, is there a point where the lines sort of cross as far as, okay, you're representing – you know, you, you represent sponsors on other cars, other teams. You you represent a lot of different drivers across all all different series. Is there a, a t- is there a point, I guess, where mm-hmm. ownership of these charters, performance on the racetrack, and the investment and focus on that project, in-house project, is it cross a line 
uh, where this tough to maybe tough decisions have to be made about your business model, you know, where, you know, is there ever a time where those could conflict or. Yeah. And, and, and I know I just said this, like every question you've asked junior, I think that's a super question and a fair, you know, that's a fair question, right? Conflict of interest always comes up. Yeah. Right. And so, um, and maybe that's when I said, Hey, maybe I didn't know that we were on as much on the inside as we thought. Right. Because like I look at that NASCAR garage and I look at it as a combination of interests. Okay. Yeah. And because I think, you know, and I'm not saying it just like this, right. We have team owners that are broadcasters intent, right. Yeah. We have, <laughs> you know, we have, you know, we have engine suppliers <laughs> that race there against, you know what I mean? Yes. Like, it's like, it's, it's more like a combination of interests, but to your question, the answer is, I, I can say to you, yes. And we are making changes with our agency, oh. right? Our agency is going to have to stand on its own. Mm-hmm. You know, our agency is going to have to do some things. And I'm not, I don't, I'm not saying this any other way. It's like, I think you can certainly see how much money we now have invested in the ownership model. It's like, yeah, man. I mean, that's, that's something we're going to have to work through and are working through, um, you know, and our partners are important to us and we don't do anything without consulting them. Right. Like, you, you know, you know, I haven't done any, you know, I, you know, I didn't do anything without calling Mr. Hendrick, right. I didn't do anything without calling, you know, chip and those guys in, in, in Toyota. I didn't call anybody. Yeah. Right. Or, or I didn't, I didn't, we didn't do this without talking to them, but is there a line? Yes. Is it there a line, you know, something just popped in and I, I hope again, I might be rambling. It's just like, but you know, Mr. H asked me the other day, I hope he doesn't get mad saying me saying this. Right. But it's just like, he said, Hey, you know, well, what are you guys doing? You know, like what, 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 what do you guys have, you know, working over there? And I was like, well, sir, if I had a $15 million sponsor, it wouldn't be on my car, right? It'd be on your car, but there's obviously going to come a time where, and it might be when we actually start racing better, you know what I mean? Or we start running into people Yeah. Um, where that line, we might think it's way out here, you know, shoot, man, it, it, might, be it might be next week if we run into, yeah, it might be mm. next week if we run into something, is, you know? Well, so, okay. So what happens, uh, you know, so you guys moving into the 95 shop, is that, is that what I'm hearing? We will be moving into the 95 shop after the season. And then the, the it, 70s? We'll, we'll, hold on. We'll take, we'll take, we'll take control of the place after, after the season. The season. It's not, yeah. Yeah. It's not, you know, I haven't already put my feet up on Bob's desk yet. You know, sure. just, it's just, do you have, do y'all, are y'all, do y'all plan on having a full-time driver in that car? We do plan on having uh, one or two full-time drivers. Okay. Yeah. And, and um, again, and, and uh, Junior, you guys make these decisions all the time too. I mean, I don't think it's any, I think that Ross Chastain is the best driver available um, period okay. at the moment. And uh, I wish that, that Mr. H would take a run at him on the 48. I wish Chip would put him in the 42. And, as an agency guy, I'm just like, man, I wish that guy would do that. As a team owner, I'm just like, well, if these guys aren't smart enough to put them in this car, I hope we get them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Whether it's Ross or whether it's Justin Haley, you know, I mean, it's like those are two guys that I, you know, I mean, if nothing else, they stand on the gas, right? And yeah. I think we're going to, you know, need to do that. And there's probably a couple others, but, uh, you know, I don't want to, you know, now I, you know, it's in the club. I, I you know, I don't want to betray any, uh, you know, contracts or anything like that. You yeah. know, I want those guys to. Can, but when you're talking about drivers, those are two the top of our list. Can you speak to how Spire or anyone can afford to buy a charter? Charters are million, multiple multi million dollar investments. Yeah. It's yeah. is it is it a is it a is it a bulk 
purchase? Is it something that's pieced together? Is it in, how is it incentive based? What is it? How does it work? I will tell you this: on the seventy-eight charter, when Barney said he would help us, I think we were, as you know, there's many definitions of help. We were hoping, in a sense, that he would carry the note, right? Or we were hoping that we were going, you know. There was, you know, some reduction in price. Help or pay for something, it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was like, hey man, can we just have it? You know, so, um, <laughs> uh, you know, man, we tried selling it. I mean, sorry, yeah, but you know, um, but no, you, you know, you have to pay for them, right? And I think that's part of that is, you know, you obviously as as what we do, right? I mean, we make commissions, right? So you, everybody can see stickers on cars and go around in circles, and know that those are our sponsors and. That's how we pay it, right? We also have, you know, uh, uh, somehow a good relationship with with our bank that that, that trusts us, right? Um, and and they deserve a plug. I mean, a Questa, right? But you know, it's just like you know. But that's how you you have to you have to have the means to do it. Whether you're, um, you know, donating blood to get the money or whether you're borrowing it, you gotta you gotta have it. What what, what do you get? What do you get when you buy a charter, though? Like uh, other than the uh, obvious, the properties and stuff. I mean, is there a certificate of member <laughs> that comes with it that you hang on your wall and like charter member? Uh, uh, what what the, is it coming in a nice little package in an envelope? I mean, what what what, what, what are we looking at here? <laughs> it's a, it's like a phone book, man. You know what I mean? Like it's remember those, you know? But it's just like it's. I think it's you know it's just like a bunch of papers, yeah, right? You yeah. sign your your charter agreement. Um, and, uh, you know, you go through the car wash, right? I mean, it's, it's just like trying to buy the y- Yankees, although it's less, right? I mean, you give them your financials, you give them, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's, you go through a process. I, I, I it wasn't, it's, it wasn't as easy as I, as, as, as I, as I thought, you know, it's, it's funny on the, on the, on the, on the hockey side, you know, it's the same thing. They just, you know, they get into your stuff and you're like, man. Yeah. It's like, okay. I mean, we had never been through it before, right? So, I mean, for us, it was a, it was a little jarring. But, I mean, I think we, pa- we obviously passed the test. Hey, real quick. Uh, you had mentioned about the Gen 7 car being sort of the motivation from the beginning. But now the Gen 7 mm-hmm. car, I mean, the the goalposts have moved. That's right. right? That's right. So, what what is that doing to you? So, I think what we did – well, look, it wasn't – NASCAR didn't unilaterally wake up one day and said, we're moving the, the Gen 7 no, to understood. 22, right. right? So so we had a, you know, we had a say, you know, just like every team, we had a we had a vote in, in how that was going to go, or at least we felt like we had a vote, yeah. right? So what is it? So for us anyway, why we did this now, maybe that's, if that's what you're, it's like, why would you do it now if the goalposts right. are moving? It's right. like, if again, it's kind of, it. It, yeah, it's kind of, again, it's controlling our own destiny. There's going to be a lot of variables going into Gen 7. And for us, Right. And I, mean, I guess this is for us globally. It was let's if we can do this now, it's just one, I mean, it sounds so bad to say, like it's, it's one less headache that we have going into the 22 season. Right. We're not chasing charters. We're not chasing uh-huh. a building for us. It's as much the building as it is anything else. Right. We can now put all of our companies under one roof and, you know, at least save fuel. Right. So um, that's so, you know, but yeah, it moves. And I think next year. Yeah. It's I mean, it's it's a bridge year. I mean, we and, and look, we got to buy cars. Right. Like we got to we got to go run a race team next year. I don't I don't think the fans are going to care that Gen 7's in 22 or not. We have to be on the track. So we have to essentially buy cars twice. You know what I mean? But we want to have our people in place. We want to have, you know, a notebook full of information. And let's face it, we're going to screw up and we're going to screw up a lot. 
So perhaps next year is just the best year to just get it out of the way. Mm. Could you take us behind the curtain a little? Because I know, you know, there's been some chatter. Are you guys going to be a, a some sort of secret satellite team uh, for a bigger organization? Can you take me uh, take us behind the curtain of what that was like getting the charter, talking with NASCAR and, and that sort of deal? So you guys just heard the tone. I think it was Junior that asked essentially like, what the hell were you guys doing, right? I mean, that's essentially the question, right? Like, what was that? And so imagine us walking into Steve Phelps and Steve O'Donnell and imagine that their tone, you know, because they had just seen us like this, right? As, as everybody else in the industry had, they just, you know, they're agents, right? And they bring, you know, whether it's drivers or sponsors or whatever. I think everybody had an idea what we did, but they're just like, what the hell are these two? You know, what are they up yeah, to? Yeah, what are they yeah. up to? So... So, you know, essentially what in that in that meeting with Phelps is is when he said, you know, the first thing he wanted to know is that because of our relationship with Mr. H, that we were not going to be um, the fifth Hendrick team. Mm-hmm. Right. And and because as just like I think you asked, like, how do you guys have the means? I mean, of course, they know us. Right. But they're just like, where the hell are these guys getting the money? Certainly, Mr. H, somebody is bankrolling this thing. Right. And so. Um, so that was the first part. They just wanted to make sure that we weren't the fifth JGR team or the fifth Hendrick team. Right. So, and that's again, those, those words and, and, um, and, and look, that's where I think we have taken that privacy, you know, like that has been almost like a mantra of ours. Right. I don't think our clients want us on the papers. Like, you know, I mean, besides, I think Mike, when, when I spotted Virginia and I did this, it's like, it's not like I'm out doing tons of interviews you know, or doing those things anymore. Right. So, um, you know, but it, you almost get like, you're, you're apologizing. Like, it's like, man, we're apologizing that we have a charter. Right? <laughs> you know I mean, we're, po- we're apologizing that we, you know, we won Daytona. Right. I mean, it's like, you know, I'm I mean, sorry. We, we, we are po- <laughs> yeah. It's like, we're sorry we won. You know what I mean? We're sorry we have this charter, you know? So I think it, 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 I think it was, it was Phelps and it was essentially Phelps and chip were very, very instrumental where Phelps was, cause we were going to name it. I just see like the dirty Mo sign there. We were going to name it dirty Mo racing. Right. You know what I mean? Like we were going to do something cool. Right. And he was just like, no, call it spire. Like you guys get out of the shadow. Right. And so that's why he was kind of talking about how you run on Sundays is going to matter. Cause that's how you're going to be known. Nobody cares of the deals you guys do. Right. So, and it was chip, you know, during the rain delay at, at, at Daytona, right? It's like we knew what was, I mean, look, it was a hostage situation that took seven hours because there's just like, there's just no way we're going to win this race, right? But in the middle of it, we said, we, I, you know, chip calls. And I said, man, I'm sorry. You know, because remember, they were they were leading. Remember that him, yeah. and, him and Landon, they were running one, two, and they pitted. We don't have anything to lose, right? So he's just like, don't apologize. Yeah. We all had the same opportunities. We all had the same opportunities to pit you know, or not pit. Right. And it's kind of like a metaphor for this, right. It's just like, you know, we get the night, we got the 95. It, I don't think it was just because we put more money on the table. I think it's Bob saw what we're trying to do. Right. We bought the 78 because we were, we had tried to sell it to everybody. So it's just always kind of, that's what I'm saying. Like there's always going to be skepticism. Right. Mm-hmm. But I think we have to stop apologizing for like what we're, you know, kind of doing. All right. right? Th- and so, this uh, this brings up a question for me. If you said, okay, you you took the seventy eight, you took the seventy eight charter and tried to sell it to everybody. That's right. And then in, you're telling me that, but you're also telling me that charter values are going up. That's right. So was why was it why were you not able to sell that seventy eight? 
what's the answer to that if the values are going up? If the charter Well, I'm saying the value I'm saying the values are going like ninety five charter, the charter values are going up. You know what I mean? Since so like just then just since, in a couple years. Just in a couple years the values changed. Yeah. How oh, yeah. how did that happen? I'm I'm t- I'm completely clueless. Tell me how it happened. I mean, some of that's the marketing, right? Some of that is people want to have it, right? I, you know, like I wish I had, I wish I had an answer for that, right? I, I, and I would also say that maybe that seventy-eight charter maybe had, um, how do I say this the right way? There were perhaps some strings attached, right? Because I think uh, um, obviously JGR okay. and Furniture Row had an alliance, right? Yeah. So I, I don't know how, you know, I think you can I understand what you're trying to say, right? So um, people had it. People, but depending upon what you take on, in addition to the charter itself, that determines its value. And with this ninety-five, it was basically uh, the cleanest slate. The ninety-five for us was obvious. It was just like, don't go out of business tomorrow, Junior. But it was just like if you went out of business down the street here, right? Yep. And we went in there and we bought a charter, your stuff. You know what I mean? Yep. And um, so we got and a building. Mm-hmm. right so that's it was the 95 was clean for us where perhaps others may have been just trying to part it out gotcha. you know what oh. i mean so you know we're not we weren't in the trying to part it out business we were just like hey let's rock okay is that what on the seventh is that huh? why bob was so intrigued it's gotta be well i, I mean you don't think it's you don't think it's our good looks i mean what? i don't know <laughs> yeah 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 but i I mean, but it's, it's, a you know, it's a, it's a deal's a deal, right? You, you go into those things. You don't know exactly what they're looking for. We did a vision. I'm just trying to give you a variable. It's like, Hey, things are different. You don't, you don't really know. Right. I just, what, you know, what I had said earlier in the call when I was it's like, you know, maybe we were, you know, a little put off by the criticism, What I, we just didn't understand on the 78 is we offered to, I mean, we literally went to everybody in the sport and said, here, you know what I'm saying? And then it's just like we did it over here, and then after we bought it, and then we win a race, everybody's just like, "What the hell are those guys doing?" Yeah, jerks. You know what I mean? Coming here, <laughs> yeah, stunting, our, the, stunting our game, and then yeah. you're like you had an opportunity to buy this thing. We were the ones trying right. to sell and, it, and and it was and it was beachfront property. Remember, it was the you know I don't think I'm talking out of school here, right? It's the, it was the number two or number three charter in the sport, yeah. right? So right. we tried, but but I am telling, it is absolutely true that from the fall of eighteen. So the moment I'm talking to you, charter values are increasing, right? Like there is a real market for these. Um, and there are several groups trying to obtain them both inside the sport and outside wow. the sport. I'm saying that unequivocally, um, that's true. Is it Spire's um, interest to ever sell this charter? What's more, what's more interesting to you, I guess, personally, is it building this team up and winning a championship or going having victories, uh, celebrating in success? Or is it yes. taking this charter five years from now and, and selling it for twice twice what it, you paid for it? What, what, what's the yeah. No, it's the first one, right? Because here's the thing. For us, Junior, again, I, you know, I, it, it's hard to – I know not everybody knows me or anything like that. It's just like we don't come from anything, right? It's not like – so we're just – we're building and building and building. So we could sell a charter tomorrow. Right. I mean, you can insert whatever value you want. I don't think I'm allowed to talk about, you know, at least on the record, how much it we paid for sure. it. Right. But it's like they're going up. But that's not kick your feet up money and you're at the pool all day. Right. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, you know, I'm I try to think I'm still kind of and, and TJ, my partner, who I couldn't do any of this without. I still think we're young guys. Right. So it's like 
this is our 20 and 30 year plan. Copy. Okay. I mean, that's, we just don't have the fast forward button where you guys can see like, this is what we want to do. Uh -huh. Right. It's just, we want to win races. We want to win championships. We want to do it just how everybody that your role models and our role models, that's how we want to do it. Right. We just, we just have to show everybody that that's what we're trying to do, but we're not, um, if we wanted to sell our charter, we could, I mean, right now we'd, we'd sell our 77 charter and we'd, we'd make a pretty good clip on what we, you know what I'm saying? But yeah. it's, it's just not, that's not what we're, that's not what we're trying to do. Got but, it. I think, you know, has he earned your confidence? I did. I think that's a great way. I'm confident. Okay. Thank you. I'm satisfied. You don't have to apologize that's to it. us, pal. No. <laughs> okay. I'll tell you what, that um, means that's a great way to end this conversation. Um, and I want to tell you, uh, you didn't have to come on here. You didn't have to come tell us all that information. It was incredible. Uh, and I hope that, um, yeah, I hope that you being able to spell that out to us, I hope is it's as received uh, the same way across the board for anyone else who hears it. And good luck, man. Absolutely. I think it's, I'll be honest with you, it's a brave undertaking. And uh, it, it's, you gotta be, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta be brave. You gotta be brave and a little bit scared and a little bit crazy. Yeah, You're yeah. Crazy. Look, it, it it means a lot for you guys to say that, and certainly for you to say that, Junior. I mean, like we're, like man, we've we could have just been doing what we were doing, right? We're making, you know, I mean, like that agency business is it, it was it was great. It is mm -hmm. great, yeah. right? I mean, it's like you're not. I mean, it's it's fickle, but man, what a life! But you know, like essentially, like you know. You know, I mean, you see, I mean, I, I like to think I got a pretty nice little house and everything. You know what I mean? It's just like, I mean, we risked everything. Yeah. We've risked everything on this. And that's when you're, you know, that's where you're just kind of, that's the scary part. Right? right. So it's like when we say, hey, man, we believe in it. It's not like we believe in it. And then we're just like, oh, it's it's like we, we really do believe in it because we put everything behind it. Everything's on it's the line just, for you. Yeah. Like no, like no shit. Like that's, that's like that's the truth. <laughs> well, <laughs> like, man, no you turned me from a skeptic to a fan. Mm. You know, knowing this, knowing sort of this background on the backstory on all this, um, it's got me hoping that this is going to work out. We're we're trying. When you texted me and I started asking you, I thought you were. Uh, uh, I I just knew from what you were telling me. I'm like, I called Dale. Honestly, during the race, I felt real bad about that, Dale. Uh, while you were broadcasting, I'm like. <laughs> I think what he's saying, we may want to yeah. really kind of unpack because no. it may be interesting. I don't know, you know, how much our fans look, care about charters and ownership and buying all that, but I knew you would. Oh yeah, and and Jeff, you've been a friend for ours of ours for a long time. So. Well, I think the other thing too is is there's I don't know that this I don't know anybody's heard the story this way, right? Exactly to change Nobody. sort of the perception of what that '77 car is about and what the '95 becomes. And yeah. That'll be you know if more people hear this, that'll be good. Well, you know, you can help me here where it's just like on that 95, it's like, are we going to run like the 95 that has the 18 cars? No. But yeah. if like, if we can go to a time machine, like two or three years back on the 95, that's our step. You know what I mean? Like, we're just trying to, I we're trying to do what Archie's doing. You know what I mean? Like, we're yeah. trying to run 25th to 20th, right? Sure. That's where we're trying to jump up and yeah. just be in the race. Yep. So. I think that's, uh, that's reasonable. Yes, sir. That's what we're trying to do. Thanks again for coming right, on. Thanks, you guys. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you. See you guys. Valvoline is all about originals because they are the original motor oil company. We've talked about the original race, the Chicago Times-Herald race in 1895. 
the slushy streets of Chicago. I thought that was going to be the it name was, of the race, the slushy was, 100. <laughs> it was crazy, crazy. Valvoline was on board now. Let's talk about a different type of race, but not in the 1800s. I'm talking about this guy next to me, Dale Earnhardt Jr. Hey! Give us the details on your first ever race. All right. My first ever race, um, I was running a go-kart at Sanford, North Carolina. South Carolina? North Carolina. Sanford, North Carolina. Right. I didn't know nothing. I think I started. <laughs> didn't even know what state it's in. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. Um, I think it's from where J.D. JD McDuffie might have been from. Was he from that area? Yes, he was from Sanford. I think you're right. Yes. Yeah. Hey, see, he's there. What, what were you saying, Mike? I, I don't know where I started. And I was, so heat race is happening, right? Go out for a heat race. I don't know where I started. All I know is that on, uh, I was, think I was coming off turn two, maybe in second place, and I came up on the guy on the outside of me and jumped his tire, and I flipped down the back straightaway. And it threw me out of the cart. And so that's in turn two. The, the opening for the track, for the carts to come on the track, is in turn four. The carts are coming around turn three and four. Dad's jumping over the carts, running toward me. And I'm laying on the ground. I'm getting up, you know, hitting, spun around. Uh, don't know where, <laughs> what happened, how that happened, what, what, what the world just happened. All I know is I'm going and then I'm flipping. He, he gets me, yanks me up. We go over to the go-kart, roll it over. Got a dent in the motor. Um, they drag it back to the pits and we go to work on it. Dad, well, dad goes to work on it. Um, make sure it starts, wheels are lined, all the things are right. And they got it ready and put me back out on the track for the feature. And I finished like second to last mm. in my first feature at Sanford. Wow. And uh, I got a picture of uh, from that night. Mike Herman Sr. and Mike Herman Jr. were the, were the family that we got, we bought the go-kart from. Mm-hmm. And we were with them in Sanford together racing. And uh, Dad and Mike Sr. were great friends. Me and Mike Jr., I would go stay at his house and so forth, and we were pals back then. And then we both kind of split off in directions to go racing. Mike Herman Jr. is a spotter now in the Cup Series. But, uh, yeah, that's my first ever race. Never heard that story. Yeah, number 03. Oh. And your dad was there. Yeah. I, I don't recall ever hearing you tell a, a story about one of your early races where your dad was actually there. That was that's interesting. Yeah, so yeah. very, that, he went to that one, and then I raced like maybe twelve more times in the go kart at Tyro, and a couple of the places, and he never was that those. The, yeah, he sent me with like uh, a friend of his would take me a handler or somebody, Rick Boss or somebody. Yeah. All right. No. Good story. Wow. Stanley. Stanton. Stanford. Sanford. Sanford. <laughs> there you go. Valvoline is a proud sponsor of the Dale Jr. Download. Yeah, Mike. They've been around from the beginning, and they invented motor oil, so they've been around automobiles since the beginning, since they needed oil, I guess. Yeah. Uh, they invented racing oil. Valvoline. They're the original motor oil. Nailed it. <laughs> that was a good one. <laughs> Guess what? We're live. Hey, guys, we're live, and I want to say this right off the top of the show here. It's the Ask Junior part, part of the show. Presented, Presented by to you. <laughs> 
I can do this. <laughs> He's a trained broadcast professional. Presented by Xfinity. Your cust- uh, yeah, I'm a customer. They're your uh, partner for Fast Internet. They're also a premier partner for NASCAR. What I'm holding in my hand uh, is an autographed photo, 8x10, of Cole Custer. It says, Dale, a day I will never forget. Thanks for all the support. First cup win, Cole Custer. Thank you, Cole. That's really nice. I came into the uh, to the podcast studio today, and this is laying right here on the desk. I love that. Nice, nice autograph picture from that Former first truck series driver here mm. for Junior Motorsports. Maybe the you only know, truck series driver. He could have just said Dale Cole Custer, but he wrote a little note. Thank you, Cole. Um, yeah, Ask Junior, presented by Xfinity. Leah is here. She's got questions ready. I, I am ready. First question is coming from Brenda Yoder, and she says, it seems the drivers were lukewarm to the choose role after Michigan. Is it because it's new, and will we see more strategy as this plays out? Well, when it comes to drivers, I would say that a lukewarm response is a good response because they're all miserable, miserable people. <laughs> I used to be one. And, uh, <laughs> man, being a driver in the Cup Series – is a, a you know you're just you're just disgruntled all the time you know because you're in this never-ending quest to perform uh, or find speed or get better um, you know unless you're the winner you're pretty frustrated so I think when you get a reasonable response or a middle of the road response on something uh, that's probably a good thing I think that um, you know the one thing I like about the choose rule is that. Um, we talked about it on the uh, on the race before. If you're a driver, okay, and 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 man, you know you're third or fourth. I mean, you're third or fifth in line, right? And you know, coming up to the start finish line to double up, you got to go into that inside line in third place or in that inside line in fifth place. And you're like, I, I, that's, I don't want to restart there. This is terrible. I'm having a great day, and now I've got to like have this really great re- restart. <clears throat> I got to get lucky in all of the things to maintain this track position that I've worked so hard to keep and get. <clears throat> so that was really frustrating. Imagine you know uh, being on the, having to restart on the outside at Martinsville or somewhere where that's you know it's really not the preferred line. But you've been running great all day, but now late in the race you're going to get this terrible pref- preferred line and lose you know potentially lose two four spots. And it's not going to reflect how well you really ran throughout the afternoon. So with the choose rule, and I know this is obvious to a lot of people, uh, but with the choose rule, you get to put yourself where you want to. You know, if you don't want to risk that bottom and you want to go in that top line, you might start eighth or sixth or whatever, but you're in the line you want to be in. Now, so what happens is this is really taking that excuse out of the equation. I was in the wrong line. I had to restart in the wrong line. Now the drivers are tasked with the responsibility of choosing the line they want to be in, and now you've chose that line. You've put yourself where you think you need to be for the best restart, and and the pressure is on them to go out there and improve that or attain whatever it is their goal is on this restart, right? Whether it's gaining positions, maintaining the positions. It's cool. So... You see the restarts were already intense. Now we're seeing them even more intense because all the drivers are trying to prove you know, to themselves, their team that's sitting on the pit box, that they made the right call. 
you know, and they made the right choice to 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 to, to be in the line that they thought they need to be in. You know, if a driver says, uh, imagine this, man, you're you're third, and you choose the outside line, and now you're restarting sixth, and you're you're like, hey, man, I promise you this is the right choice, and I'm going to show you on this restart that, that it's the right choice. That's the mentality of the driver, whereas it was predetermined before he was ha- he had to line up wherever he was told to line up and then he could throw up his hands and go man i was in the wrong line that's why that restart wasn't good that's all gone now the driver's sort of in this position where he says i'm going to pick this line and i'm going to you know i've got the responsibility of the entire team to prove that this is the right choice on every single restart so the restarts are a lot more action packed so i like it they're not going to use it at the road courses probably a good thing um, they're not going to use it at the plate tracks. Probably a good thing. The thing about it, you know, the thing about it at the plate tracks is, and why you might not want it is because the teams are going to try to work together, and, and you want to split that up. For me, the fan, you guys watching, we don't want the teams together. We don't want all the Penske cars together. We don't want all the Toyotas together. We want to break them up, mm-hmm. right? When they're together, it gets boring because they won't pass each other. They'll ride in line. Uh, so we don't want that, and, and I think that's what you might get more of if you have this choose rule at the plate racetracks. Uh, next question is from Crusher287 on YouTube with us. Um, hey, Junior, do you like the new system they have to set the field? So yeah. the new qualifying formula. I do. You know, I think I didn't care about it uh, as far as the draw because it wasn't affecting me. I'm not out there racing, and, you know, if I you know, drew – 22nd every other week I, I wouldn't you know I'd get a little annoyed by that um, so I can see where some of the drivers were pretty frustrated with the just the chance of it right this is not a this is not a you know racing and and, and sports in general isn't a game of just chance you want to be able to feel like you always have some control over your destiny always right so this uh, this gives the drivers some control over where they're going to start the next race. Now, as a fan and as a viewer, it, it, if it's going to put the faster guys toward the front, you know, it's going to put the better you know better cars toward the front. If you know the double headers, what's cr- kind of fun? One of the one of the fun things about the double headers is they invert the top twenty for the second race. Kind of like that, you know, slower cars toward the front. Now watching them guys kind of claw their way back through the through the field. Is a fun thing in that first stage, and this kind of goes against that. But, again, I think that the drivers should have some control and some in effort and input into where they start. If we can't have qualifying, this is a good this is a good solution. Next question coming from Ditech Cup Series. Uh, what do you expect of the Daytona road course this weekend? Calm, carnage, or a decent blend with a lot of fun racing throughout? Well, the um, – that's hard to predict, to be honest with you. Um, the the you know the road course, the fall off I think on this tire is going to be big. I think they're going to slow down quite a bit over the course of the run. The interior, uh, you know, it's, it's it's a Daytona. It's kind of a beachy, sandy aggregate in the interior of the racetrack. There's not a lot of road course in the Daytona Roval when you uh, when you really look at it. There's a couple corners in the infield's pretty straightforward, uh, not super technical, and then you're back out on the uh, the oval. 
that you got the you know chicane on the back straightaway. You're going to have this new kink on the front straightaway that I I was hoping that they weren't going to use or need, but they feel like they need it. Um, they're worried about them, I guess, going so fast into turn one, like like they're not professional race car drivers or something. <laughs> but uh, I feel like that there'll be some carnage on restarts. You know, we had the heart heartburn turn and at the Roval in turn one where. Chase Elliott goes nose first into the tires and then comes back and wins the race. I think we're going to have some things that happen uh, badly for some guys on that first turn. It's really slick, and you can kind of misjudge how much speed you can carry into that corner. It, it, it's this, it's sort of this turn that's that tightens as you get deeper into it, right? So you get you get kind of tricked into going in there a little farther than than you should. Uh, and all of a sudden, you're, you're, you come up on this tight kind of finish on turn one, and you're going to miss that. So there'll be some tough stuff there happening. You know, I don't know otherwise. I think that, you know, the roval, you know, the length of the oval portion of this road course will allow these guys kind of to get away from each other. So it's going to be a hard race to – it's going to be hard to predict. I don't expect it to have sort of that action-packed, you know, wild – you know, uh, stuff that we've seen at the Roval. And we hadn't, we didn't see that every time at the Roval, but it's the Roval's been well-received uh, at Charlotte. So I think this will be this will look a little different. Such a big racetrack. I think they'll get a little more spread out and get away from each other. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it looks a lot like what we see there with the, uh, you know, with the 24 hours and any other, you know, series that uses that part of the racetrack. One more question quickly from Charlie H., now that you are the official It's Bow Time voice, I'm curious, what's your favorite thing on the Bojangles menu? I saw that question on Twitter. Um, <laughs> the fries, the seasoned fries. I got, uh, you know, fries are pretty dang good to begin with, and you put this Bojangles seasoning on them, and, the, and they become next level. Um, I got a bunch of, they sell, you know, I think they sell that seasoning in, in little um, cans, and, and I got a bunch of that at home, and it's good on chicken or anything else you want to put it on. So I use that a lot, but the the fries are, are my favorite. All right, that's all for today. Oh, the bowberry biscuits, too. I got a bunch of those frozen in my freezer. Mm. <laughs> yeah, you can buy them, froze, freeze them, and eat them when you want. All right, guys, I appreciate it. Got to be fast in our sport, and Xfinity knows a thing or two about that. With Xfinity, get blazing fast Wi-Fi without any pit stops. Xfinity XFi delivers the speed, coverage, security, and control that you need to stay connected to NASCAR and Dirty Mo Media all season long. This is beyond Wi-Fi. <clears throat> Sorry. This is XFi. Sounds like TJ. And keep your questions rolling in to at Xfinity Racing and at Dirty Mo Media on Twitter using hashtag AskJunior for a chance to have your questions answered by Dale Jr. himself. We're proud to partner with Xfinity, keeping us connected to the sport all season long. Shout out to Xfinity, premier partner of NASCAR. Last call. All right. I don't have. Yeah, I know you don't. You know why? So I'm pulling a damn audible on you guys. Last call. All right, last call. We're deciding to do something a little bit different here. If you guys look at the screen out there, you should be able to see. Dale, you called for feedback on Lost Speedways, negative tweets only. So uh, we're going to roll through some here. All have, right. Have some fun, buddy. My negative review from Kevin uh, should wear – y'all should – Y'all should wear latex gloves when collecting dirt. Not sure what is in that dirt. Promoting healthy 
Dirt Collection. Thank you, Kevin. <laughs> Wes, y'all found a bunch of speedways that any head could have lo- looked up on Google Maps. <laughs> Here's one for you. Uh, Matthew Dillner, uh, he has a weak hat game, says Jeffrey, a synonym for hat makers is milliner, which is kind of like Dillner. <laughs> Dillner needs a milliner. <laughs> Tim, the continual harping on the past is so annoying. And this feller, y'all kept calling the king, don't look anything ah. like Elvis. I watched all the episodes at least twice so I could be more critical and sarcastic. Thanks, Tim. That was the best one so far. I like it. Patricia. Oh, my God, you actually posted this? Lost Speedway sucks. (laughs) (laughs) It is highly inaccurate and boring. Matthew and Dale Jr. couldn't be less entertaining. What a waste of time binging this awful show. (laughs) (laughs) Hope there there isn't a season two. (laughs) Nicholas. Like watching paint dry. Lisa says, oh, and another thing that is uh, bugging me is how obvious it is that Dale and Junior love the history of the sport. So irritating that they spent time trying to get us to love it too. How dare you? (laughs) Caution light. Says, Lost Speedway sucks so bad I've watched them all three times. Clayton, Matthew's saying, come on, (laughs) when he wants someone to come look at something. So annoying. Mark, Lost Speedway promotes operating illegal underground moonshine steals at old racetracks. Think of the children. (laughs) Jay Briggs says, I hate that Dale Jr. is wearing the same shirt in the intros every time. That's funny. T-Mag, oh, wow, Lost Speedway is just a bunch of middle-aged guys walking around. Old dilapidated tracks. Boring idea, but actually great show. And not enough of the Earnhardt guy on there. My best try at negative feedback. NASCAR Ponderings. I know it's been mentioned, but I really can't be emphasizing enough how terrible the flag man was at Okanichi. Oh. <laughs> it's been mentioned. It's been mentioned now. Justin, Wait. negative you ask? Love the podcast every week. Don't love all the promotion for this stupid show. This show is cool, but a little dialing back of the promo might be, yeah. might be best. <laughs> Al says, a few episodes have put me to sleep. It's the best sleep I've ever gotten. <laughs> Yeah, there TJ you go. says, come on, let's go. And cool. All words to describe my drinking game. I got wasted every episode. <laughs> I haven't even noticed that Eddie. you say these things. Yeah. That's interesting. Eddie says, disappointed I couldn't change speed to 50% to hear Drunk Dale like I can for the Dale Jr. download. Oh, that's <laughs> Have you ever that's done that? Good. It's pretty funny. Yeah. We should listen to it. <laughs> Jay says, uh, maybe next season you could bring on some guests, people that I've actually freaking heard of. Who's this Richard Petty guy? (laughs) Tom. Matt, with whoever the guest is, awkward. Their interactions and forced laughter. Just act genuine, for Christ's sake. Take an acting class. One or two of them. For the record, I do like Dillner. Chase, you want negative feedback? Okay, my only gripe is how Dillner is so animated in his conversations with Junior or some of the guests. So to me, it's a little bit, it's a little bit too customer, customer service. That's how Matthew acts. I mean, Matthew's <laughs> yeah. gen, that is genuine yeah. Matthew. <laughs> David, don't wear those boots again. I wonder who he's talking he, to. Episode Gotta one. Gotta be talking about you, Dale Junior. Yeah, your boots. The boots. Sure. I thought we were going into a mud pit, David. <laughs> Although complaints about Canada, yeah. India wants to see it. India wants. We have a guy yeah. that complains can't get it in India. Matt says, "Never mind. The Canadian thing was addressed, and I believe." It's being ignored. (laughs) (laughs) No, we had Hinch on the show. We're pro-Canadian. Skyscraper. Y'all should be arrested for trespassing. (laughs) (laughs) I like that one. 
Cindy, Middle Georgia pit lizards were as notorious as the moonshine. Those don't, brought, don't, 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 don't read the second line. <laughs> those brought, why? I don't know. Can we say that? I think the whole thing. I don't know. It's a tweet. This is, this is are we trying to? Are we afraid we're going to offend lizards? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was my favorite one. Okay, those broads didn't even get a shout out. It says, <laughs> "Jeez, Nathan, the big, tall, Sasquatch-looking guy is hard on the eyes. Needs to be replaced with a better-looking eye candy." Joe, Matthew Dillner, guessing what ugly hat Dillner will wear. Jack, lost speedway needs to be lost. <laughs> yeah. All right. Is that the last one? Thank that God. That is the last one. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of reading today. <laughs> I mean, I wanted some feedback, and they gave it to us. I you asked for that. Delivered, man. Yep. I asked for that, but I didn't know he was going to read every single one on the no, show. No, there was like four hundred or something. It was crazy. <sighs> yeah, we got a ton of. That was a marathon. You sweating? Did you enjoy that? I enjoy. I, yeah, I mean, it was a little a yeah. bit long, but that it was. was long. Uh, you that, ran long that, on that, that Matthew. It's okay. Like Matthew. everything else. Matthew. Matthew. Yeah. <laughs> the rap sign that I usually give you that you hey, wrap ignored. It up, I ignored Jeez. it from you. Matthew. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. We've I always like wanted a damn to do this helicopter. To this show. <laughs> All right, let's no let's wrap let's wrap this puppy up. All right. All right, y'all. Hey, thanks for the negative feedback on uh, <laughs> Lost Speedways. Thanks for Jeff Dickerson coming on the show to tell us all about why they bought another charter. Spire doing Spire things, and thanks for James Hinchcliffe. Great story, interesting. I know a lot of people, and and me included, want to hear about his his crash and how he survived that. That was wild, but great to hear his story and. Uh, if you're not pulling for him in the Indy 500, what's wrong with you? <laughs> pull for her, James. Let's pull for James. I'm pulling for James. Oh. Um, and now we're also pulling for Spire. Yeah. Don't you think? I agree. Yeah. All right, guys. Have a great week. Hope you enjoyed the show. Don't forget to tune in to NBCSN to watch it this week. Saturday after the Xfinity race. Okay. Yeah. Saturday after the Xfinity race. There you go. Thanks for coming in there, Lee, and saving the day. Absolutely. Y'all guys, I'm here for. take it easy. See you later. Bye. Bye. Mike. Bye. Mike, you're not saying bye. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. Goodness gracious. You gotta end with some energy, Mike. Yeah. Y'all got it. We're good. Okay, We're out. Energy. Give 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 Mike one energy like punch. Over this. Goodbye. Mike is over it. <laughs> is that good? Yeah, that's great. I thought you I thought you always take us out. I just was like Alone. Let, yeah, you <laughs> yeah, always take us let, out. We should all say goodbye. It's a group effort. This bit of badassery was badassery was made by badassery. Dirty Mo Media. Dirty Mo.